Cough, cough. Right, this is going to be a bit of a mess. <laughs> handwritten notes, man. I need to get out of this habit. The time, time that I actually typed them up. My yeah. handwriting is almost as bad as the guys from Primer. Yeah, it's less shaky. But yeah. At least it's, is it in order this time? Well, We're not yeah. flipping through 400 pages of an old notebook. <laughs> no, no, not this time. What okay. was that for? I can't remember what that was for. It was, like, it was like two in a row that you did that before. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think it was Late Shift where I did that. It was, like, it was all over the place, yeah, or, or telling lies. Anyway, no, this is hopefully in order. Okay. Are you ready? Yep. Hello, and welcome to Filling in the Gaps. I'm Justin. And I'm Darren. In this podcast, we typically talk about puzzle games or puzzling movies. And what we're doing today is we're going back to an old favorite, which is Primer. Primer is a movie from 2004. It is directed and written by Shane Kruth, who also wrote and starred in Upstream Color, which we've already covered. Rumor has it, at least as what little research I've done, is that this movie only cost about $7,000 to make. Yeah. And you can start to see why, and I think that that's something as we discuss this movie. I do want to point out a couple things that I noticed as I was watching this time that I can kind of see how they made that work. But still, 7000 to make a whole movie like this is pretty impressive. It is, indeed. It's only an hour and 17 minutes. It has IMDb ratings of 6.9, Metacritic of 68, which feel a little low to me, but I kind of understand why. Rotten Tomato, it's... Critics at 73% and the audience at 79%. But again, part of the problem with a lot of these numbers is I don't know if people have gone back and reviewed it because I feel like a lot of people have seen it, but I don't know if everybody's gone back. If this is a real, I don't know, a real measure of what people thought of it because I suspect that most of the people that have gone back either really, really like it or really don't like it. I don't think the people that thought it was just okay go back and make that effort. Well, I mean, that's a good point. I mean, how many times have you seen it? I mean, not exactly, or roughly. Yeah, so that's a good question. I think I've probably seen it six times now. Right. And how many I'd times? be about the same. I'd say getting closer to ten, probably. And I still don't understand it. <laughs> I will say this. The first time I watched this movie, I didn't like it. I really didn't like it. It can be very slow. It's a lot of talking. Yep. Some of the talking doesn't seem to really matter. Some of the talking you can't even hear. Some of the things that they're saying don't seem to really make sense with what's going on. There's a lot that's very awkward. But what I love actually about this movie is the fact that it's more designed to be watched a second time. There is a Roger Ebert quote I want to get to at the end of the podcast. He, <laughs> as always, can very eloquently state things in a few sentences that's probably going to take me the whole episode <laughs> to get out. But yeah, it it feels like there's a lot of wasted time in this one. But unlike Upstream Color, where I feel there is a lot of padded time or stuff that's just kind of artsy and not as important to the story, this one, I wouldn't really say that. I would say my second viewing, I started to realize because too many people had said that they liked Primer, too many people whose opinions I respected. And I decided I needed to give it another shot. And when I did, I realized, actually, there is a lot of good stuff in this movie, and I just didn't see it the first time through. That's a real detriment to a movie like this, because who wants to watch a movie again that they didn't like? Yeah. <laughs> You're talking me. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm definitely in the, I think, smaller group of the world in this case. But yeah, I do really like this movie. I don't love everything about it. It is not a perfect movie. But I think for what it is and what it does, 
It's very impressive, and I would recommend to pretty much anyone who likes science fiction, at least, watch it twice. Yeah. But you only really have to watch it once before listening to this episode. And that's pretty much it. Are you ready to jump in? Of course, yep. All right, so here is your spoiler warning. Here we are in the spoiler section. We know full well that we're coming late to the game on this one, as pretty much everything else that we do in this (laughs) podcast. This movie is 16 years old as we're recording this, and Primer is the type of movie that has a cult following. Loads of people have analyzed it and analyzed it. I haven't really watched, I I don't think, any of them, to be honest. I've seen a few of them. So Darren may be able to jump in with stuff that other people said. I pretty much everything I'm going to say is something that I've thought of, but it's probably been thought of by every other you know reviewer that has done this movie before. We're not going to go through and sort out the timeline. And that would be very, very, it would be, almost be impossible to do because the things that I've seen just to follow that timeline, they require flowcharts with colored layouts, with patterns, just so that you can visualize it. Doing it just but, oh, and then there's this part. It would be, it'd be so hard to do just with audio, man. Yeah, so. <laughs> and and to be honest, the people that have already done it, they've, they've done it spot on and it's really well done. So kudos to those guys. This movie deals with time travel. And time travel typically does my head in, usually because there are things in it that just don't make sense or don't line up. And I, at least the way that I've watched this movie so far, I don't really have a problem with that. I think I did the first time, but I think that I wasn't really grasping everything that had gone on or the clues that they had given us throughout. Yeah. We start in a garage. We're going to spend a lot of time in this garage. Yep. We see from the outside, there are two guys about to enter and there are two guys already setting up on the inside. Audio, we have phone ringing and a narrator starts and he's going to leave a message that's about an hour and 17 minutes long. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so the narrator is talking to us. I think we could pretty much assume that the narrator is Aaron. Uh, yeah, it'd have to be Aaron. And basically he says, don't say anything. I'm going to start from the beginning and go all the way through. Yeah. We don't honestly get much of this narrator. And when we do, sometimes it feels a bit jarring because we haven't had enough of it throughout. But it's very important to the kind of end game of this movie. So I understand why it's here. I almost feel like it should have been done a little bit more to make it feel like more of the movie. But that's just personal opinion here. We then go to the kitchen table where the four guys are putting stuff in padded envelopes. They're talking about patents. They're talking about their work. They're talking about how they're overworked and yet still trying to get ahead. (laughs) I love the fact that their side hustle is trying to engineer new things and create new patents. That's how they're trying to create a future for themselves while they're still engineers in their regular day job as well. And I think that comes from Shane's real life experience because he is an engineer by trade. And I think what he's trying to say there, to me anyway, is that once you go into an engineering company, that's your life pretty much over because they only play the safe game, don't they? They'll only develop stuff that they know will have a good impact on their shareholders and blah, 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 blah. Whereas all the real true creativity and imagination that goes into developing something absolutely crazy like what they're doing, that's got to be a side hustle because their bosses would never okay what they're doing. But I love how they're also like financially responsible and like they're taking care of every dime but Aaron he's just reckless I mean and that's his character you know and that's because he's in the end he's not really the good guy of the story 
so let's talk about these four guys real quick because one of the things I found in this movie is they don't say their names often enough for you to really get a feel for who they yeah, are. Yeah, Aaron, Aaron and Abe and then the two other guys. But even then... I wouldn't have got it the first time, maybe not even the second time. Like, you have to be really quick and paying attention. You might get errands, but I just feel like we aren't really given their names. We're not really given a good setup, I mean, except for the no. other engineers. Yeah, yeah, I mean, after you're nearly 10th time, time. Yeah, I know Karen. Is it Karen? Even? It's Kara. All right. So. so, Kara is Aaron's wife. Aaron is Shane Gruth. He yeah. is the writer, director, idea man behind this And musician. Movie. He yeah. did all the music for it as well. Abe will be his friend. This is the one with the light hair. And in the beginning, he has a beard, but that goes away. We have Philip, who is the guy with the dark hair and the dark goatee. And then Robert, who's kind of the shorter white guy, and he has no facial hair. They're talking about how it's his turn for an idea. But what we're going to find out very quickly, like after Robert and Philip leave, pretty much not important to the movie yeah. after this. <laughs> Though I'm pretty sure that they, at least one of them is on the crew, like doing camera work and stuff as well. Right, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, again, how they kept it down to 7K, right? But as they're leaving, we find out that Abe and Aaron have been plotting together to move forward on one of Abe's ideas. They don't really want to do Philip's idea. They don't want to do Robert's idea. You get the strong impression that these two are the closer friends. They keep the other two around just because they've always been around. Did you get that impression? Like, they don't really want to have the other two guys there? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean... Certainly Aaron doesn't. So, yeah, Aaron doesn't. But Aaron is manipulative anyway. He's only after uh, Abe's girlfriend's father's money. Yeah, later on. Certainly part of it, yeah. yeah. Uh, one thing that struck me, though, is in the kitchen, right? So we're in the kitchen now, yeah? And I don't know, it's like, you're working out of, out of your garage, it's late at night... Why are you all still in your shirts and ties from work? I have some suspicions about okay, that. Okay, go on then. My suspicion is this is very practical. They're all, I think, all wearing white button-down shirts. Different color ties. Which are very cheap. And you don't really have to worry about continuity as much if you're wearing the same thing every time. Sure, yeah. So I think this is to keep the costuming costs down. This is to keep the continuity errors to a minimum. But yeah, it's very irritating. There's a like a pool party or something later where they're all still <laughs> wearing, wearing the ties yeah i think that's that's a good point though continuity has to be yeah because people would be getting really confused if they say oh but he was wearing a different color shirt in the last scene like why is he wearing that so maybe they've just gone this movie's already complicated enough let's not throw wardrobe in there as well to make it over complicated yeah that's a good point so and also that, that's my suspicion is it's mostly a practical standpoint and I think they even make fun of that later on because there's another part, like maybe halfway through the movie, like, oh, you come in here with your $3 tie and then try and ask me for this. <laughs> <laughs> there's some really good setup here where we see, I'm assuming it's Christmas because there's a giant bow on the refrigerator. And a few months later, it's going to be like March or April. So I'm assuming that it's Christmas or there's been some reason for them to get this new fridge. And Kara's very excited about the fridge because it has ice and she's eating it even though she shouldn't because she's supposed to run it through a few times. But there's that. There's the fact that she comes in. She's very tired, leaning against Aaron. They're both uh, kind of trying to get out of putting the daughter to bed, I believe. Yeah, I've been there. <laughs> Do we even see the daughter? I d no, not as far as I... Maybe. <laughs> I've never seen her. <laughs> But that's a great way to do it. We don't need to have the actor in the scene. Let's cut her out so that we can just 
Just Sean. mention her. Yeah. yeah. But it also gives an idea of the relationship between Aaron and Kara. And Aaron is probably always trying to get out of doing these kind of things, right? Yeah. Here, there's a whole lot of montage, which I love, where they're talking about trying to get parts. And they're basically stealing parts from things they already own. So they're... There's a part where they need, was it iridium or something, where they he gets it out of a catalytic converter from Abe's girlfriend's car or something. <laughs> <laughs> and if that's not enough, we can get it from my, my truck's catalytic converter. They're taking apart, hopefully, kind of old stuff that isn't working as much, like old microwaves. But when it comes to the refrigerator, I think it's Abe's refrigerator, he said, well, we can get the copper tubing from here. And... We can take the Freon, too, just in case. I said, whoa, whoa. <laughs> like, wait, we don't need the Freon. Yeah. And uh, it, it's just copper tubing. Is this worth ruining my entire refrigerator? Yeah, I, I wrote that right here. He's like, he's like whoa, 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 this isn't even saving us money. You know, yeah. it's like, the refrigerator is more expensive than the thing. Yeah. Aaron's just reckless and just dashes forward all the time. Doesn't really think about these things, but he's obviously meticulous in other ways, which I guess is why the crew is what they are. Maybe, yeah, they've got all their four points. What I did think about this, have you ever seen that YouTube video about, I, don't, I can't remember the title of it. It's, I think it's called How Americans Sound to Foreigners. Is it the one from Italy? No, uh, I don't. I don't think so. It's like basically a guy and a girl, and they're talking absolute gibberish. And it's just basically like when foreigners are watching Americans on on, on screen. Okay. No, I've seen a similar thing, which was the song from this old black and white kind of Italian variety show or something. And the song is meant to sound like American English, and when you listen to it, you kind of get that it does. Yeah. Yeah, but this one is just like, it's really well done because they're so serious. It's like a drama almost. And just like, well, I don't know if the fish. <laughs> it's just, but the way they deliver the lines, I felt like that in Primer a lot because, man, they constantly are talking over each other throughout the whole movie, pretty much. And I don't know why they do that. I've got a couple of ideas, but one of them is just maybe, I don't know, would you say that's even bad direction? Like, it's a bit, it's also. Weak in the editing, I would say. Editing, I, I was thinking. I think they don't realize how mumbled and confusing that it became. Because the to them, they know it. Yeah. They know it very well. But you're right. It but, could be the point. It could be that they want it to be somewhat. Do they just want it to be natural, like two people, excited people, just rushing to talk points at each other? But it doesn't really work, especially when you need information, which this is a movie where you need information to process. Unless that was the idea, unless the idea was to make it somewhat confusing so that you would have to watch it a second time through. Because I think they even do that in Upstream Color as well. There's, we'll get to the point, which I'm sure you'll mention later on, which is by the fountain where the sound quality is atrocious in this movie, man. Parts I just couldn't hear. They did the same in, in Upstream Color. So it's obviously something that Shane likes to do. <laughs> like, let's make it more natural. I've no idea what his game is, but yeah, it annoyed me. Especially in Primer when they're just constantly... Yes. This movie is constantly talking at you. Yeah. Constantly. Until, well, this point, you see the four guys in the garage, the garage door shuts, fade to black. And this is a good indicator that things are going to be different now. Because we're now going to move forward with pretty much just the Abe and Aaron story. So we see that they're still working. They're testing some machine that they've got with paper dots that have come out of a, a hole punch. Kind Which of really annoyed me. Why is that? Because it's white and your shirt's white. Get out of the shot. <laughs> well, they could have used <laughs> colored dots too, right? Because you, you can't see anything. <laughs> well, maybe that was to save on the special save effects. Save money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
They notice that there's something weird going on. They want to test it more. Abe talks about putting the camcorder in the box. And Aaron's like, whoa, you want to take the camcorder that's really expensive from work, which, by the way, they mentioned before that he's taking stuff from work. Yeah. You want me to put that in this box that we have no idea what it does or if it's safe. Yeah. But so Aaron <laughs> did stop them when it comes to the camcorder. But he was perfectly happy to put his own hand in it. <laughs> Yeah, this is, this is the Russian doll experiment. Yeah, right. We'll, right. right. It now. appears to not work, and it shuts down. This is also where they put plastic over the windows. And I think in the movie, it's meant to be for secrecy. Like, they think they're onto something, and they don't want other people to see. But from the movie-making standpoint, this is pretty much the same thing that Kevin Smith did in Clerks, in the fact that he found a reason, an excuse to cut out the natural daylight so that they could film at night and still pretend that it's day. And I think that that's pretty much exactly what's going on here. I think this was the trick so that it didn't matter what time of day they were able to film. It was always daytime. It was... Or it was always whenever time they wanted it. The light wouldn't be affected because it's blocked out by this plastic. We then see Abe asleep on the floor. I don't know why he's asleep on the floor. It seems very odd. I don't know. Just they're exhausted, I guess. They're, I guess that's what they're trying to say. Because, I mean, what they're saying, when they're at the kitchen table, they're saying they're doing a 40-hour week and then they're doing a 30-hour week here. So they're putting in at least four hours a night after work, something like that, yeah? Five hours a night after work. But does he not have a bed? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can understand him passing out in the bed still with his tie on, but to pass out on the floor? Is it? It's Aaron's garage, though, isn't it? Not when he wakes up. He's waking up actually in his place because oh, this is where right, yeah. Aaron will call him and say, I'm coming over. There's a weird thing they do here, and I think they do it on purpose, where you see Abe get up from the floor, and then you see that same exact shot again. Mm. They do this twice in the scene. I think they're trying to hint, at least subconsciously, that things are repeating in some way, but they really aren't at this point. I mean, maybe they are. Maybe Aaron is at this point, but... Abe, I don't think, is at this point. I don't think it really matters because by the end of the movie, both of them have used the failsafe anyway, so they'll both be repeating it from the very start of the movie anyway. So yeah, no, I would agree with that. Well, not necessarily because Abe's failsafe doesn't go back this far. No, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So I I think this is more artistic than actual... He does the same thing. shot in upstream color as well. He does the same double take thing. I think it's, just, it's a style thing as well. Okay. There is some roommate that Abe has that's apparently living for free, which Aaron doesn't like the fact that Abe's letting this freeloader stay with him, I guess. I don't know why that's important. Because Aaron's not a nice person. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Maybe that's it. Maybe that is what they're trying to say. I just always found this very odd because it never really comes up again. And the roommate, we only see, I think, this one time. So if it's for character development of Aaron, then it, it makes sense. But otherwise, I never quite understood the point of this dialogue or this scene. But yeah, you might be right there. We see Aaron is very excited. He keeps talking about wanting steak. And Abe's like, I can't afford steak. Let's get tacos on the way. Aaron keeps saying this because he wants to say, no, things work. So he goes back to the garage. They both go back to the garage and he fires it up. But he said that he built this kind of dial or lever so that he could slowly put in the power rather than all at once. And it finds its own rhythm. And then he brings it back down and it runs on its own. It won't run forever, but it'll run for quite a long time on this. Yeah. They're excited. They go out for their steak, where they start discussing practical uses for it and what this could mean and how they can make money off of it. Aaron gives a key to Abe, I guess is the key to the garage. 
And they're basically cutting Philip out before he decides he wants to take apart the machine. At least that's Aaron's excuse. Yeah. We need to cut him out because he'll try to take it apart and he'll probably ruin it. We don't know how it works. We just know that it does work. This is where they start having parties in their ties still. Yeah. (laughs) Trying to get funding from Thomas Granger, who is, as you said before, Rachel's father. And Rachel is Abe's girlfriend, I believe. Yeah. Months go by. I think the narration says here that they both realize they're out of their depth, at least as far as the science behind why this is working. And even applications, like at some point towards the end of it, they sit down and they're like, we don't even know how we could even market this, even if we could have everything perfectly laid out. Like, what can you honestly sell it for? It's unmarketable. It's power. It's free power. They're getting more power out of it than they put in. Putting in. But I mean, it's like they make they make a big point of that before with the or maybe it's even I can't remember if it was the earlier part or if it comes later. But there's a part where Aaron uh, starts removing the batteries. Yes, yeah, and kicking them under the table. Yeah, yeah, I think it was that part before. I thought he was just doing that just to say like, oh man, look at this, it's like running on it. I didn't actually think that they were thinking about selling it as power. I thought, yeah, they because they were talking about the numbers, how much power is it pulling? He's like, well, there are two. It should be twelve each, twenty four. And he takes one out. He's like, oh, it okay, well, now it should be pulling at least 12 from that one. Mm. Takes it out. It's like, it's it's got no power. And it's running completely on its own. So I think Just at least like an I'm, energy source then. In my head, this was, it's not cold fusion. Yeah. But it's a way to have more power. You're somehow magically creating more power than what you put in. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. I didn't even think about that. I was like, how do we market a time machine? Yeah. Well, they don't even know at this point. <laughs> yeah, they don't know at this point. This yeah. coming up is where we talk about the time machine because here's where, honestly, the movie actually starts. We see Abe. He's standing on the roof somewhere. We don't know at this point. We'll know later that it's from the hotel room. He goes down. He talks to Aaron and he offers to show him something very important if he'll skip work today. Aaron, with his earpiece in, mm-hmm. as he so often does. <laughs> Which is important later, right? That's important at the end game. But boy, when I watched it the first time, I was like, why? Can you not just listen to this guy? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But we're at... So Aaron agrees to do it. We go to Aaron's work. Some guy's asking about Will. This seems completely unimportant, but it becomes very important later on. But not as important as I want it to be or not as important visually or explained well enough, I feel. Will, to me, is one of the weaknesses of the story. Aaron jokes about what do they do with engineers when they turn 40. The other guy laughs. We don't actually get the joke, right? No. But we go to a lab, and the guy in the lab tells Aaron that same joke. And we get the punchline this time. They take them out and shoot them. This is already an indicator that Aaron has been here before. Aaron has heard this joke. Well, at least I'm assuming he's not just being nice. I'm assuming this is the first time he's heard the joke. But we realize that in the earlier scene, it must be a later version of Aaron because he's throwing that joke out there. Yeah. This is all talking about some sort of fungus that's on the piece, this kind of special fungus, which <laughs> apparently is worth a lot of money if you can sell it because it takes them months and months to yeah. make this stuff, whereas Abe and Aaron are apparently scraping this stuff off like every five days. So already in my head, I'm like, well, you've got your money maker right yeah. there, but that's not what they want because they want something more. Yeah, I wrote it down here. Every five days worth is equal to five years worth. Right. So, yes, if that's a high commodity fungus, you've got your money, but that's not what they want to do. They put the watch in the box, and what they say is it takes 1,300 trips to 
go to kind of a minute in the future and back again. And Aaron is just really excited, but about the possibility of publishing. But A says that's not enough. What are we going to say? What are we going to prove? Yeah. So we need more proof. We need to put somebody inside the box. So they're talking about building a larger machine so that somebody can go inside. And then again, they start discussing about ways to make the machine cheaper. Where could they do it? Oh, well, we could do it in that self-storage thing right over there. And Abe stopped and he says, okay, I swear to you, what you're about to see is not a joke. And he kind of gets out of the way and there's Abe walking to the self-storage. Aaron obviously is confused what's going on. They go in to the self-storage. Their machine's already working. Yeah. How do you feel at this point? Um, I'm okay. Well, uh, everything's flowing smoothly for me, I think. Why? This is probably the biggest problem I have with the movie is this scene. There are others, but it's this one. Why? Abe tells us that he came here and he saw the things already built, correct? I don't remember that point, but on you go. Okay, he does. So, who built them? Um, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know about that part. I can't comment. Okay. <laughs> but here's, here's my biggest problem, is that they are doing the kind of Bill and Ted thing with the future, but without actually explaining how it happens in the past. So these machines just happen to be here, but who built them when? So if Abe found the machine, then that means that they must have built it, but they built it in the past. So they together have gone back in the past, or at least one of them has gone back in the past, built them and left them here for them. But they've never actually built the machines. They've just talked about how they would do it. On the very day we're looking at it, and we go and see them for the first time. Yeah, I'd have to watch it again. <laughs> but this has always bothered me because there never seems to be a point in the timeline when these actually get built. We never see them get built. Yeah. Right, but um, they go in that same, at least it looks as though they're going in the same day as we see Abe walking in with his oxygen tank. Oh, oh right. So, And this is just when Aaron is hearing about it for the first time. Yeah, yeah, I'd have to watch that again then because um, I wasn't ready for that question. <laughs> <laughs> always bothered me, probably always will bother me. I don't think that, that part is set up properly. I just assumed that Abe had built them. He built one for himself and then they built one for Aaron. Or Aaron built his own maybe and then that was it. I just, I'd never even give it a second thought to be honest. But you never see them build it. Yeah, I, I could definitely right. say, say that. You never actually, there's no Rocky montage of them building a time machine. No, and they're just talking about it now. So, I don't know, there's just this whole, yes, if this is Abe's first trip, then he's he must, oh, have, no, no, he no. must have built it before and just lets Aaron believe that he hasn't built it and talking about making a bigger one. But, I don't know, it just seems like way too quick from the time that Abe would have figured out that the machine works to begin with to... I've built a time machine in the self-storage. Right, yeah, the, passage, the actual passage of time. I mean, it would take months, maybe even longer, to build a human-sized box. And so, yeah, it seems like it's happened in a day, but there's, we don't see that passage of time, I guess. Maybe, uh, yeah, I've got no idea. But no, I mean, I think at that point, though, one important thing is that I think that is... So Abe, like, if we're going to call them Abe 1 and 2, whatever, right? So oh, Abe gosh. 1... Oh, are we going to do that again? <laughs> but, right. I mean, if Abe 1 is going into the storage, right? Then Abe 2 is with Aaron, yeah? Yes. But I think at this point, 
Aaron is on like I don't know how many iterations he's on, right. and and he's faking all this surprise, right? But, but yeah, the Genesis, yeah, I don't know. But but the yeah. thing is, Abe, I feel is not. I mean, if that's the case, then this whole day, this whole let me show you something important, is both of them pretending all day. Yeah, well, no, I would see that because I think in my mind, what happened is Abe builds a box, he goes to the hotel room, he waits until three o'clock, and then he goes back in time. Right, and then then that's his old Abe is stuck in that time loop of going to the hotel, getting back in the box. Yeah, so that's him. That's the original Abe. Done. He's now stuck there. Yeah, and so this is Abe two, and Abe two meets Aaron X on the bench. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally get that. It's it's the box. Yeah, where does the box come from? That always bothers Abe built the box, but when we don't know. And we never so he it. spent like a month building on his own before he told Aaron. I think so. I mean, and and, and building the failsafe, yeah. right? Yeah, which was um, <laughs> so stupid, but that's important for the story. So, yeah. like to put both of them in the same place seems dumb to me. Oh man, that's because, because that's <laughs> just a house fire. That's why you keep your data in three different areas, isn't it? You got one Dropbox, you got them on a right. physical copy, but also just. You do not put you, your, when you go to time traveling boxes when you together. go to buy a new or to rent a new room and there's probably only like one guy who works there running the place and says oh you want another one you know like, <laughs> <laughs> it only takes that to mess up your whole plan Abe so to have it both in the same place makes no sense that's a very practical movie but, yes, but yeah. they worked it into the story as that was Aaron's clue right we'll sure. find out later. So it works out well in the fact that they don't ignore the fact. It actually is important. Mm-hmm. We're going to fade to black. Time travel begins. Abe drives Aaron to his car. Aaron says, what did you do the first day through? I want to do everything that you did. So they do the same things. They get the oxygen tanks. They get in the machine. They go to the hotel and waste all day in the hotel. They're very adamant about we unplug everything. We don't go anywhere. We don't see anyone. So they have like sack lunches. The only thing that they do, which I really feel like they should have put off to a later trip, but that's fine. Let's keep it an hour and 17 minutes. They go to the library. They find out what's the best stock of the day so they can purchase one and see it double. So instead of looking for a way to sell their patent or to sell the machine, they now very quickly is going to become, let's just make some money. Yes. Back to the future too. Now. So that's basically what they do. We're going to get a lot of that, of them getting in the machine, having their day in the hotel, and then going home. But it's going to start leading to problems. So one, how do I explain to my wife, Kara, where the money is coming from? And it was like, well, why can't you just say you got lucky in the market? Because that's really what's happening. Yeah. And Aaron says, no, no, there's too many questions that come with that. There's no way. So what... <laughs> there's just a lot of that, a lot of those kind of arguments. And you also see there's a point where there's notebook paper, but like you said, their handwriting is atrocious. It's all kind of shaky and, and messed up. Aaron starts getting looser and looser with the rules. He keeps forgetting, I'm giving air quotes here, forgetting <laughs> that he's got his cell phone. But there's a, a great argument there of how would cell phones work if there are two exact ones in the same timeline would they both be receiving the call we don't know but they kind of risk it to it's just something stupid like what do you want for dinner or something but yeah i did want to ask you this why do they take off their clothes to get in the box is it just because it's so hot do you think maybe yeah and i guess it would get pretty sweaty inside there and they want to look at least normal 
I've got no idea. Otherwise, yeah, he. It's not to. like Terminator where the clothes disappear <laughs> or something. So, I, well, a cell phone doesn't disappear. Right. Oh, yes, he doesn't take that in the box. He just leaves, probably leaves it all outside with the clothes. Yeah, yeah I didn't know if maybe there was maybe I missed something where they said they can't have metal or something. So you know, a lot of pants might have metal buttons or something. But I, I'm assuming because it's hot. Aaron doesn't like it. It's one thing that Aaron doesn't like. He says it's like a coffin in there. We need to make a bigger one, but that doesn't really happen, at least in the main yeah, course. Because Aaron's got a real problem with that. He's got like some real claustrophobia issues where he wants to make a much bigger box. I don't really understand. I never understood that part. Like, why? It's compact. It's fine. You get in and you go for sleep and you have a dream. Oddly Six enough, hours. Yeah. yeah, they have the same dream as well at some point uh, later on in the movie, which I found weird. Is it not like maybe the third or fourth trip where they're like, he says, oh, I'm having this dream where I'm on, like, all I can hear is the ocean. And Abe finishes it and he's like, yeah, it's just the tide coming in and out. Oh, yeah, right. Okay. I, I don't know if that means anything, but I was going to drop this here while we're on the kind of bad handwriting subject. Because that bad handwriting actually comes in real early in the game, but it's not really mentioned until almost the end where he's like why can't i use my hands he actually says it out loud whereas up until like before that we just got little hints about it do you think possibly that putting their hand into the machine has caused their hand to be out of sync with their brain it's very possible however aaron makes some sort of errant comment in that same conversation about the fact that i think abe asks have you tried writing with your left and he says oh it's the same thing my suspicion has always been that going through the box is somehow messing with the hemispheres of their brain. I wrote that down as well. Actually, that's weird that you said that. I was like, is it reformatting? Because I wrote that much later on. Yeah, I, I was saying, is it like reformatting their brains? Because like, he says it's the same with my left. Is it like they've got two right hemispheres or something like that? Is there some sort of crossover or something like that? Yeah, I did write that down. But I did kind of like the idea that maybe it's out of sync because there's a point later on where he misses the basketball shot. Yes. But he makes the the perfect basket the first time. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that would be a, a hemisphere issue or if it's your hands are just milliseconds out of sync with each other. For me, it's just always been that the machine was a bit dangerous and they were jumping in before they should have. Well, obviously that because they're bleeding out of their ears, they're passing out, they're going right. unconscious. Yeah. There's a point early on through their travels where they're having a conversation and Abe asks Kara what she would do if she had no money, no responsibilities. He words it much more complicated way, but I've, I've <laughs> trimmed it down to that. You've got no money, no responsibilities. You've got the house and everything. What would you do? And she says, oh, I would do some good in the world. Aaron's like, oh, that's my wife, the, the saint kind of person. Aaron says he would punch his boss in the face, but then he'd want to find a way to go back to the past and stop himself from punching him in the face. Why? He just wants to know what it feels like, but he doesn't want the repercussions of it. Yeah. Right? He wants uh, all so. the experiences, but he doesn't want to have to pay the penalty for them. And yeah, this is a problem because this is where the narrator comes in and says, well, once the idea is out there, you can't put it away. And it's like, this is your major idea. This is your major problem is the one where you want to punch your boss in the face, not the one where you keep jumping back in time <laughs> to make money on the stock market. I, I, I don't know. This is always it's been a little like, this, this is your big thing. This is your only motivation is wanting to punch your boss in the face. And Abe kind of helps you go along with it. It's, it just seems like there would be a much better thing to want to go back and do something big. Like these guys are in theory. God. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also in theory, just going to make millions yeah. Using the stock market trip. But 
all he wants to do is punch his boss in the face. Like, think bigger, you know? <laughs> like, well, it does think big by the end, yeah. I but... guess, but it's like, why wouldn't you want to punch the president of the country in the face? Or something yeah. bigger. Like, this just seems such a, a minor thing. It's such a minor thing to risk so much over. Yeah, because they do it, don't they? Yeah. They at least plan to. Yeah. They were, well, they were they, going they're to. They're going to do it, yeah. So there's arguments over Abe wanting to let Kara in on the knowledge, but Aaron's against it. Oh, this point as well is the where his wife also says there's rats in the attic. Yes. And that's very important. But we have no idea what's going on in this. Not the first time. The first time. Yeah. However, I think every other viewing Yeah, or you obviously know exactly what's going on now, yeah. Because the rat in the attic is the original Aaron. Yeah. I would say it's gotta be the original. You think so? Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not even sure I care <laughs> enough to, to figure it out. Or the first copy of him, right, or whatever. It's uh, it's definitely an early, the earliest one uh, has to be him. There's a part where, okay, so here's the part where they're talking about having the same dream. There's a part where they're leaving the car and Aaron's ear is just bleeding massively. Yeah. Which is huge foreshadowing of the fact that he's being affected more than Abe and there's a good reason for that. Mm-hmm. Naughty boy. We get to the garage. Philip and Robert are walking in saying that they're glad they can finally get in and get some work done. They were told that they were exterminators, which we know the rat thing kind of plays into that. But Abe and Aaron, I, they say thanks for the gift. And Abe's like, yeah, I hope you can use it. But we have no idea what the gift is or what it was for. It's just very random. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like there must have been something a bit more in the story that got cut, cut out. Yeah. But they start talking about Rachel's ex-boyfriend, who I assume is Will, or Will's cousin that came to Robert's birthday party and brought a shotgun. And this, again, seems like it's not important, but it actually is going to become vitally important in the future. And this is where we get to your favorite audio scene of the water fountain, which I don't, oh, yeah, yeah. I don't even know why they're there, but it, it is there. You're right. Yeah. But Aaron is kind of, no, sorry, we- Abe is angry at Aaron for stepping out of line. And Aaron says things are different now. And Abe just keeps going, don't be risky because you have a family. Yeah. But I mean, Aaron's obsessed with this. I mean, that, that seems to be his big thing where, and I think earlier on as well, she's like, Maybe he thinks that Rachel doesn't love him or appreciate him or something because she's even like when he, when he when he says when he's lying on the couch he's like oh I'll, I'll punch Platt in the face she's like oh my husband the hero I'm so proud of you it's like so proud of you for fantasizing over hitting someone in the face like what does that even mean there's some other stuff going on between those two that I can only guess at you know but this thing with Rachel and him coming off as the big man is a really key point for him I think for some reason care. Yeah, sorry, whoever it is. Not Rachel, yeah, camera. Um, but yeah, it's it's odd. But yeah, this this water scene, this water fountain scene, it's the the volume on the water is insane. And I think it's here for production value, but I don't really understand why we're here. Well, I mean, proper. yeah, they're. I mean, are they not? They've got flashlights. They're looking for someone. Yeah, maybe this is one of the scenes where Will ran, ran away and, or they didn't catch him. Perhaps. So maybe this is out of time. We are not going straight through the timeline that we think we're in. That, yeah. that is possible. And there are a few things like that in here where, I mean, even when the friends thank Abe for the gift, Abe doesn't look like he knows what they're talking mm. about. And so it is possible that there are all sorts of other timelines going on that we're not aware of. Right. We get another hotel scene. Abe is worried about what the storage guy thinks of the two of them going in all all the time. <laughs> and it's like, well, 
what do you think the hotel people think? <laughs> yeah. Like that seems to be the more obvious situation. Yeah. Two guys checking into motel every day for six hours. But this is where Aaron brings the cell phone and he takes the call from his wife. We get the hotel again. He's now watching sports. And it seems like they're having trouble remembering how this game finishes. Yes. But I'm not even sure why that is. Are they watching old games? Because I think, I, I think if, they're gambling on them. Okay. But that means that they're doing the same day twice. Which they seem to be very against. Up until now, we're led to believe the machines are single-use only. Or maybe it is. Maybe it is an old game then. And they're just having trouble. Maybe maybe it's just there to show that their brains maybe are degenerating or something like that. And they are having trouble remembering things. Or maybe it's just, you know, maybe they just watch a lot of sports and... But they're I don't time travel, and I'm very forgetful. But they're definitely talking about it as though they know how this game yes. ends. Yeah. And so I got very confused by that. If they were gambling on sports, I would totally understand that. But no, it would but mean no, you're right. They don't. They don't go through the same day twice. But I tell you what is a crime in this scene is uh, who the hell eats a muffin with a knife and fork? <laughs> Seriously, man. I want to know where the time machine came from. And you're annoyed because he's eating a muffin with a knife and a fork. Who eats a chocolate muffin with a knife and fork? Well, well, he does. Ape does. Here's what gets me, though. Aaron says, are you hungry? I haven't eaten since later this afternoon. Which, which is, a great, is a great line. Is a great line. <laughs> but Abe's just about to chew down on this gigantic muffin. <laughs> muffin the size of his head. Are you hungry? Well, obviously. Yeah. Unless that's why he's using the knife and fork, because he's only going to eat a little bit of it. (laughs) But they break the rules here because they go out to eat. It's obvious the more times you do this, it's so boring. And they take nothing with them. They don't take books. Well, they they take a football at one point, don't they? I suppose. Throwing that around the room. But they're not taking a lot of intelligent things to fill their time. So they're just bored. And they're stuck in a hotel room where initially they weren't even watching TV. That's right, yeah, because they wanted to cut off everything. I don't understand why he answers the call, though. That's the one thing as well. Even the first time, like, why does he take the call? He just let it ring out. True. I mean, is he tempting fate? Is that what it is all about? Is he is he pushing it just to see what will happen? If so, that's extremely dangerous, and he's obviously never seen a time travel movie in his life. But, but they make lots of reference to understanding time travel movies. Right. I think for me... I always envisioned this as a ruse that it isn't actually Kara calling. That somehow Aaron is calling himself. Okay. That would make more sense. But you do hear Kara on the other line, don't you? I what? don't think do you so. Don't? Oh, okay. I could be wrong. Maybe you do. Or maybe he just he's just saying, like, yeah, I'll have whatever for dinner. Yeah, I'll see you there. Maybe, but maybe he is talking to himself. Yeah. That's always been my suspicion. It doesn't ever really get answered, though. But the fact that he's forgot his phone a second Twice. time. Yeah. It seems very fishy to me. So it's now night. There's a skateboard kid with newspaper setting off car alarms. This is where Abe comes over and says, now's your time because we can... Were they going to do something to stop the kid from waking him up? I think their plan was to go and punch Platt in the face, then stop the kids from hitting the cars to set off the alarms so that their original selves would not wake up from that and then have the same idea. That's pretty much it, wasn't it? Right. So they would somehow still remember the experience without actually having lived it. I'm not sure how that really works. That gets very kind of timey-wimey. But (laughs) I'll I'll let it go. I'll let that one go and say that's fine. But the next part I find so baffling. I don't understand what's going on with the next part. Yes. So they're driving by. Aaron thinks he sees... I think, was it Tom Granger, like Rachel's dad, in the car, but now he's got like two days of facial hair growth, and 
not clean shaven like you saw him earlier in the day. So it's obvious. Like they don't have to overly explain the fact that Aaron suspects Tom has been using their time machines or their technology in some way. Yeah. But they get out, they chase him down, and the picture is kind of grainy and far away. There are two guys on the ground. Is one of them Tom? Yeah. Okay. I wasn't really sure. There was a part of me that thought that there might be two Aaron's. I didn't know what was going no, I on. Aaron was definitely on the left. When he speaks, mm-hmm. he's like, oh, I, I tripped up. I fell down. But yeah, Tom's definitely on the right there by the gate. Okay. And he's collapsed. And then they start drugging Tom, right? Or something to keep him quiet? I think so. I think that's what that's because they go on this whole thing that you can keep someone in a vegetative state for X amount of days using this medicine. But this is also the point where they start gassing themselves and drugging their own milk for their cereal. It's the point where everyone's getting knocked out. Well, it's also where they start suspecting each other of talking to Thomas before. Yeah, because he's like, why would you do this? Would you have any reason to do this? And then it comes up, the big thing, what if it was an emergency? Right. I believe this is where... I think it's narration where it talks about permutations were endless. Mm. So there are all sorts of things you can do to change the future. What future do you want? They say Thomas becomes vegetative. So yeah, so I think keeping him drugged and hiding him in Abe's room. This again is a thing even after many times of watching, I'm a bit confused by because I get that there's something bad that happens at the party. Mm. This guy brings a shotgun. So we're going to see them go in to the truck or whatever, get the shotgun, take the shells out. It's totally safe. But they keep arguing over something. Like, they keep trying to change something, but I don't know what they're trying to change. Yeah, because... My my suspicion was Rachel gets shot in... One of them. One of them. But in their argument, Abe is saying, no, 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 they never actually shoot. And every time we go, they never actually shoot. So what happened? What was so bad that they're trying to stop? I honestly think it's Aaron's vanity getting in the way where he wants to be the hero. She said, oh, you know, my husband, the hero earlier. Yeah, so I don't know. It doesn't, it does, because it doesn't really make sense. Nothing ever comes of that situation, even the first time around. So it's like, why would you go back and tamper with it? The elephant in the room here is, yeah, Granger. Like, what's been going on there? I have no idea at all. Like, nothing. Zero. Maybe there are videos about him and his part in it. But I think it's, there's nothing in the story. And it's a movie about endless time travel loops. So you could literally say anything. He went on to become the president of America in one universe. But one thing is for sure, he's done it, or at least not for for me is for sure, is he's also been doing it quite a lot because he collapses. I don't think Aaron, maybe Aaron was trying to kill him. Maybe he did bash his head in or something like that. But I think you would be able to see that. You know, he'd be like, no, you hit him with a rock. There's blood coming out of his head. But he does say, oh, he just collapsed. And Abe seems to agree with him. This is something, though, that would bother me about the movie. It's my interpretation. It's always been my interpretation that I want to believe that we are watching one timeline all the way through. But if throughout it, we're getting chopped up with these other timelines, then that's kind of purposefully muddying the water in a way that that's what you're suggesting is that we're getting all these different little timelines thrown in because then we don't have one solid timeline. We don't have one solid story to follow. And it's, it's hard enough with a movie like this to follow one steady time. And if they are chopping it up and doing other stuff without really showing us, then that's too muddy. And that, like I said, I think that that's just confusing things on purpose in a way that's not fair to the viewer. No, I I think that the movie is one timeline. I mean, but there's obviously, I think, many things going on in the background that we don't get to see. 
Right. But everything, yeah, everything is going in a straight line for okay. us, I think. I'm pretty sure. Well, it's just when you were talking about the fountain area and that this might be one of the other timelines where they were looking for that guy. I think that's probably the main one because later on he's saying, like, I want him to, the cops to come, I want him to get arrested and just be taken out of the equation. And I think that's what he's really after. Although by the end but of the movie, he's not. Why is that important? I have no idea. I, like I said, okay. it just comes back to this. He wants to be a hero. He wants to be respected. He's got this chip on his shoulder about something. You know, he's he's angry about a lot of things. He's, he's a weak, weird character. You know, he's just, <laughs> I don't like Aaron. <laughs> I don't think you're meant to. No, either. you're not meant to like Aaron. Yeah, no, I think the first one was just the gunman escapes, you know? He's, he's, he runs away, done. That's it. And yeah, we're following the first original timeline, but we've got all this other multiple timelines happening in the background. But I do think it's weird that they're breaking that rule, that even Abe is letting them break that rule to do the same party over and over again, because he said in all the times, how many times has he shot? So that means that they've done that day many times. Right. Over something that apparently is not an emergency. No. I always, yeah, before this, probably every time I watched it, I assumed that that was important, that somebody dies, and that's what they're trying to stop. But it isn't. When I heard that this time, I went, wait a second. Yeah, nothing happens. Like, what's nothing the point? happens, so what's the point? It could just be weak writing, man, you know? Like, if they got Rachel killed, then there'd be a reason for it. Right, which is why I always thought they went back in the first place. But this time, it doesn't seem like that's an but issue. then you brought up a good point, is that, what we were saying before about the uh, the sports game, if they have been doing that party over and over again, maybe they have been watching the sports, the sports ones, you know? Maybe. <laughs> I also think... Or maybe that would make sense, because if they're doing the party, they'd have to watch the same game over and over again. You can't be betting on the same game, because you can only win the one game once, couldn't you? Right. So maybe in the, doing the party over and over again, that's how they've been spending time, is just watching the same basketball game. Boy. That would be so dull to watch the same exact game over and over again. I'd find a way to get a DVD player into the box, I think, with me. Just leave it at the motel room. <laughs> Which we'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> Here's where they're really dividing on how they feel about things. This is where Abe is going to do his fail-safe machine. We're going to see him stop himself and take over. But as he's talking to Aaron... Aaron is still saying the same conversation he was before, not really responding to what Abe is saying, because he doesn't realize that this is, let's say, Abe 2 to his Abe 1, and he just keeps going with that conversation, and Abe realizes that Aaron's been playing him for a very long time. Yeah. This is where we find out that Aaron has been listening to all the conversations, he's been recording all of them, so that he could have a few seconds head start on everyone and could make things happen the way that they're supposed to. Incredibly intelligent and manipulative and interesting way to use time travel in a, in a movie, in a story like this. Yeah, yeah. But Aaron's kind of stupid that he didn't realize that Abe wasn't responding the yeah. same way. If he's recorded the exact conversation and Abe is saying something different, Aaron, I feel, should be clever enough. He's certainly designed as a character to be clever enough to realize, oh, something's different and figure a way to play that through. Yeah. But that's kind of it. I mean, the rest is us finding out what Aaron's been up to and how he's been kind of manipulating the whole world, how he's been drugging himself through the milk and the cereal so that he could take over for a day. Straight up attacking himself as well. So you think that the one in the attic is the one that he drugged and dragged up there then? Yeah. Okay, that makes sense, yeah. Before this time, I wasn't sure there was, in my head, the way I remembered it is incorrect, because I envisioned there was another box upstairs. Ah, uh, okay. But this is not that. This is 
I, I think I like your idea better that he's dragged his old self up there. Yeah, just take himself out of the equation. And then, yeah, he comes back to do it with the next one. And that's when he, there, yeah, because you got Hoodie Aaron and basically in White Shirt Aaron. And so, but White Shirt Aaron is obviously, I think, manages to talk him down because he manages to just release Hoodie Aaron into the wild. Like, off you go. You don't have a family anymore. You don't have a wife and kids, but don't care where you go, but just don't come back. Who Must know- have given him a lot of money or something. Who knows where he, yeah, exactly. Probably something like, yeah, that. Well, and I think that that's plausible, given that he doesn't seem to care that much about his family. Well, he's, he's willing to... The Aaron that we're left by with at the end of the movie is willing to give it all up. Yeah. He wants to get his passport. He wants to take his money and go. Yeah. And Abe doesn't want that. There's a whole weird thing where Abe... You know, Aaron's like, well, why don't we just take Kara and our daughter back in the box with us? And then we can each have a set because that's what you really want. Yeah. And that really seems to come out of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, that's not a nice thing to say to your best friend. (laughs) But I think we're led to believe that that is the way it feels. Abe wants the family and he kind of has a thing for Kara. But that's not really been set up anywhere in this movie. Not really. I mean, he's got a girlfriend. They seem happy enough. Kara seems happy enough with... Aaron. Aaron. But yeah, Aaron not being happy and satisfied, that's, yeah, that's a given because he's, yeah, like we've already established he's not a nice guy, really. And he is willing to, to throw it all away just to go to France or Quebec or wherever the hell he ends up at the end. Somewhere Some French, French speaking, where he can get a giant machine. Yeah. Built. Yeah. He wants to, what does he want to do though? Transport a whole airplane. Yeah. David, <laughs> David Copperfield. Yeah. It's a huge warehouse that it's he's gigantic. Yeah. But remember that. His trick, apparently, was to put a machine within a machine. So I don't know what he's doing here with this one. If he's somehow doing machine within machine within machine. If he's somehow using that with his know-how to get even further back in time. Mm. Or if he's just got bigger plans that require a bigger room. I don't know. I mean, again, you know, maybe he's going to find a way to bring more stuff back with him. Right. Yeah, I, I didn't understand the bigger thing. That's just never... If anything, you'd want to make it as small as possible. Because and as few people to know that it exists as possible. Whole, I mean, I guess they don't know what they're building. Yeah, so that would make sense. They're just, they're just engineers. Again, they're just engineers. Going back to the very beginning of what we're talking about, they're just set to work on something. They don't necessarily know the mechanics of it. But. And he doesn't seem upset. Abe has told Aaron to go away and never come back. Yeah, he seems happy about it at the end. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's I loving think it. that's what he wants. He wants a special life and he's going to have it now, much to the risk of his own life and probably the rest of the world. Because, as you said, he's a bit impetuous and he doesn't always think things through. Uh, but I guess Abe Zero or original Abe is in, uh, original Aaron is in the attic anyway. So he gets his family, but then gets nothing in the end. He, has, he, he will have never even time traveled yet <laughs> or yeah will he have uh, <laughs> but yeah it's uh, it's a definitely even 10 times later and, and even watching some youtube videos on timelines and stuff like that it's still very hard to follow but i'm glad at least the story is easy to follow the story is so simple two guys build a time machine play the stock market the, a party goes wrong they try a few times to fix it but that's not really that important builds a big box at the end done but the whole thing behind it is really difficult to follow, man. I think as far as time travel movies, this is more clever than most. I think that it has actually less plot holes than most. I know that I've pointed out a few things that bother me and that irritate me, but you haven't heard me talk about some of the bad ones, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
overall, I think it's pretty solid, and it's pretty amazing that they did what they did with... Seven Grand? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't, Abe kind of gives it all up, doesn't he? I mean, I mean, I guess he'll get to toy around with the box, but Aaron knows what he's doing, and yeah, who knows what kind of hellscape he's going to create by all these paradoxes, because he's not exactly cautious, is he? I don't have anything else to say. Yeah, good movie. So, I want to finish with that quote from Roger Ebert. Oh, yeah. This is the summary. The whole review is pretty good, but I really like the summary at the end. The movie delights me with this cocky confidence that the audience can keep up. Primer is a film for nerds, geeks, brainiacs, academic decathlon winners, programmers, philosophers, and the kinds of people who have made it this far into the review. It will surely be hated by those who, quote, go to the movies to be entertained and embraced and debated by others who will find it entertains the parts the others do not reach. It is maddening, fascinating, and completely successful. And then he goes on to talk about how it has a $7,000 budget, and that's impressive, and that so much of what the shots were were very deliberate. And yeah, I mean, it's a very kind of efficient movie as far as the way it's made. It's an impressive movie. I've watched it many times. I will probably watch it again. Not sure I'll understand it any more next time than I did last time, but I think that this is a movie that is good enough to watch and to watch again. Gaps fill the more gaps created. Today we are going to discuss a game called Oxenfree. How would we describe this game? Uh, maybe the way that the developers described it as a talky, pointy, clicky game. I know yeah, that sure. there will it. be a couple points where you may have chosen things differently. Yeah, I mean, even from the beginning, like, who, who did you rescue first? What Darren has explained to me is that on sequential playthroughs, if you play through again, then things are slightly different. Very different. Or very different. <laughs> <laughs> All this and more on the next episode of Filling in the Gaps.